in association with the Agri Health Network, it's time for That Farm Life podcast, Planting Hope, Harvesting Strength. On That Farm Life, we talk about that life that is that of a farmer and their family. It's about the day-to-day grind, the good times, the tough times, and everything in between, because farming is more than a job, it's a way of life. And we're here to offer opportunities to help you deal with the stress and strains of farm life through faith, family, and community with other farmers. Now, here's your host, a farmer, a former agri-business owner, and also the pastor of a Southern Baptist church in Arkansas, Archie Mason. Hey guys, I'm Archie Mason and welcome to another episode of That Farm Life Podcast. Our goal through this podcast is always to help farmers and agri-related occupations recognize the signs of stress, anxiety, uh, depression, and to offer resources that can help folks find healing. Now, we offer many resources at our website, that's agrihealth.net, and this podcast is one of those resources. So if you haven't already, please push the subscribe button. If you like the podcast, leave us a rating, share it with a friend. And as always, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, uh, and Instagram. Now, on this podcast, we talk about faith, family, and farming. And our desire is to get real, to talk about many of the difficult issues that our farmers and rural communities face, and to create a safe zone where it's okay to not be okay. Now, in the past few weeks of the podcast, we've dealt with the subject of marriage. But this week, we're starting a new series on grief. How do we hold on when we encounter loss and heartache on the farm. So let me introduce to you our guest today. Today I'm speaking with Mardon Lane. He's farmed over 40 years in southern Missouri, grows mostly cotton. He started farming with his father and he now partners with his son. So Mardon, good to have you today. Nice to be here, aren't yeah. you? So glad that you came and you're doing this podcast with us. Hey, tell us, uh, tell us more about your family and your farm. Well, I'm married to a beautiful wife named Martha and we've been married for 46 years. And I've got a great son named Greg, daughter-in-law named Sarah, two of the greatest grandkids <laughs> ever. I know everybody's is, but they hadn't met mine yet. But <laughs> we love those grandkids. Yeah, them grandkids, they're, they're 15 year old and they're twins, boy and a girl. But uh, we farm anywhere from Kennett. We're scattered out kind of from Kennett down to the state line at Leedsville and all the way to the bridge at going to Perryville. So we're pretty well scattered, but we farm around 6,000 acres and 90% of that's cotton on the ground. And I've raised cotton with my grandpa and my daddy for all of our life, but uh, we farm mostly cotton and uh, we have a few beans and a few corn. And sometimes if according to the prices, what we're diversifying go to something else, but mostly cotton's our bread and butter. That's right. And those prices have a lot to do with what you're farming next year. Yes, sir. Well, again, hey, thanks for farming cotton and, uh, uh, you know, being in the ag industry and all that you do. Hey, when you started farming, you worked with your dad, but but he struggled some. You've shared a little bit of that with me before, but he struggled. So will you share with us your story? Kind of tell us about that. I'll give you a little background on my dad. He was a good Christian man. He took me with him from the time we got up from I was little. I, if you've seen him, he would had me. And uh, we farmed all. I started farming when I got out of high school with him. But back when he was farming, he'd make, he, he would make lay talks. He'd take the youth to like Windermere and to the lake and stuff and made sure the kids that didn't have a lot of stuff, he was all about the kids and working with them. 
But when we get in stressful times, there's times all through the year, even me, that I think there's no way I'm going to make this. There is no way I'm going to pay out of debt. I've spent too much, but it always looks bad. But in them times, he'd break out in sweats, and he would just he would just kind of kill up. And I meant uh, nobody knew much, and that was in the late 60s and early 70s. And he just kept getting kind of just down and down and down, and he finally... They decided this, the family knew, but they took him to Memphis to have him. Back then, all you had was shock treatments, and they just shocked him in it, made him not remember much and stuff, and he'd stay down there about two weeks, and he'd come back, and uh, we'd go two or three years, and then he'd we'd have one of them bad stretches or something, and he would, a lot of wheat to thrash or cotton or something, He'd fall into deep depression again, and they took him back to Memphis, and he, they'd do them shock treatments. Well, the, he'd done that twice, and he'd come back, and I figured the last one was probably in the early 70s. And uh, he'd come back, and I'd say, are you okay, Dad? And he wouldn't talk about it much, but he said, yeah, but he said, I'll probably never go back down there. I can't stand them shock treatments. So we farmed, and uh, my brother farmed a little and I farmed some. We kind of all farmed uh, together. And uh, he just kept on and we it got up into the 80s. We had a bad year in 80. It was a drought year. And he suffered through it and I could tell that that was getting to him and I'd ask him now and then if he, and he, he said, no, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. And uh, wouldn't talk about it much. He made it through 80. 81, 82, we had a good one in 1983. We had another rough year, and uh, he made it through it. But the next year, we planted uh, cotton in 84. And we had about oh, 2,000 acres of cotton, and it was a wet spring. And ever, you know how cotton does, it don't look real good, and sometimes it'll promise you the least and give you the most. But anyhow, it looked terrible. And we had some good, but uh, I went with them one evening, and uh, after it had come a big rain, and uh, we uh, went, he'd pull up to some of our worst in a mud hole or something. He'd look and say, hey, Dad, we got some pretty good. Let's go look at it. He said, I bet that wind blows tomorrow. And when the wind blows on cotton in the sand, it's like wet sandpaper. It hurts it bad. And I said, well, maybe it won't, but if it does, we'll roll your hoard or something. But uh, I could tell, and he got sweat on his upper lip, and he was arms were sweating. And he cherished, my son was about six then, and he cherished him. I mean, that was the only bright spot that would make his day. So I went home that night, and I was worried, and I told my wife, I said, I'd love to have uh, Greg, let's take him up, Urkel's dot, and let him stay all night tonight, and maybe they'll cheer Daddy up. And she said, okay. So I took him and uh, brought him in. He was sitting in the chair, sweating, just kind of there and he seen Greg and he kind of put a smile on his face and all. I did get to tell him that I loved him mm. and uh, I went back home. <clears throat> the next morning I was going to work and uh, I lived at Zenith and our shops down there close to Arburg about halfway there. My mother, we had two-way radio, she squalled out. She said, hey, come quick, Mardon, are you on there? Something bad has happened. I know he's done something he shouldn't have done. And uh, so I just flew, and I thought, oh, no, God, please. 
I got there and I said, Porter, open the door. And she said, he's in the bathroom. So the door's locked and I kicked it down and he had shot himself. Mm. And I go, this ballistic, I think, oh no. And we called the ambulances and stuff. And I remembered, I talked to my son the other day and he said, I grabbed him, my brother left. But wind was blowing that morning. It was done blowing. 25, 30 mile an hour, and he'd done this probably about four o'clock in the morning or five, whenever, sometime in the morning. And the neighbors was wonderful. they come down, they'd heard we'd had tragedy. They'd even let some of theirs blow and helped. And uh, I looked around that day and I sat and heard this, why God, why God, why? As good a man as he was and why? I was then, me and my wife was real active in church. We, I was driving the church bus and stuff. I said, why? And uh, I looked and I had to go and got the hands going. And I knew mother said, oh, this crop, what are we going to do? And I, I was 29 year old. That was dumped on me and, and my brother. He's probably seven years younger than I am. But uh, I said, I got to go and get on the tractor. I just got to get out. And I was after dark. And it was this, that was one of the toughest days, well, the toughest day of my life. But it just, I went into a deep depression after that. I just, all I wanted to do is just work and uh, honor him. And I didn't want people to talk bad about him or nothing else. And I knew then, you know, after two weeks, I had to get out and go and been around. We'd go to the local coffee shop. We'd, uh, I'd go in, things gets quiet. Well, immediately I think men are talking about my dad or something like that. I was eating dinner in there one day and there's a guy come, farmed up north, didn't know me and just know some of the other local farmers, the older ones that was around there. And he said, man, y'all had a guy here blowed his brains out a couple of weeks ago. And I thought, that it just, Tore me up. I said, you don't know the guy. He was a good guy. And uh, went up and paid. But I just kept on just working and working. And my brother helped. And then he eventually quit and went to moving dirt. And I farmed. And uh, after that, I just, I couldn't get it out of my head. Why, God, have you done this? I just, and then I, I thought, man, all this worries that he had I could sell for some of the years that went on that I was farming that I had my wife my son and my mother then I thought man all of that on top of you and I thought and a lot of farmers in the evening can drink you know they can drinking around farmers in the afternoon after and they can do that some people can do that and some I'm one that can't but I'd got to drinking it kind of eased the pain I'd drink I drank more and more and more. And I got to doing it every day there for about four or five years. My wife, they lived in Kansas, and, and uh, her dad was an alcoholic. And she had been with him, and she had seen him lose what he had done, and uh, they had to move back, and he helped his brother. And so she didn't like drinking. She had no part of it. And uh, I'd sneak around and drink, but uh, I just kept on just drinking and finding excuses. And my son was, he was in high school by then. And uh, this, 
I had great landlords that took care of it. They deal with me. You think you can hide it, but you can't hide that. And uh, I just kept drinking, and she kept saying, no, you're going to, coming in late night and stuff. And her, for about five years, I'd done that, and, and this got worse and worse drinking. I come in, she said, it's over. I'm done. And uh, it was in the wintertime. We'd had a fish fry or something. We'd stayed out stupid late drinking, and uh, some of them would leave, the ones that probably can handle it. I don't know. There's a few that can. They'd go home. I'd just keep drinking. And uh, I went to... Uh, house. I said, oh, now I won't do this no more like I always have. And she said, no, I'm done. I've told you and told you I'm done. And uh, so I left and it was late and I thought, my goodness, I, I thought uh, kicked out of the house. First you get, I was still drinking about half lit. And I thought, here, Bill's living in the house that my dad built and all. You know how you'll get this solid mad and I stayed over there. I thought, well, she'll be over it. And I just stayed in the truck that night. Next morning, the hands come. We work. And I thought, I go over and she said, I told you, hon, we're done. I, you have embarrassed me, my son. You have, you're, 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 you just don't know it. But she said, for your son's sake, I hope you would go and you're going to have to go get some help. And Back then, you don't want nothing to be wrong with you. Your farming is real competitive. If you've got some ground over here, Archie, that they come by, people can see, I want to beat you, and you want to naturally beat me. You've got a bug scout. You want to put the most out there, you, and and, uh, and your pride. You don't want nobody to know nothing's wrong. So I thought, man, she really means this. And uh, I have to go. I go over to Perigo and get a motel. And uh, I wait till late at night because that pride's still kicking in. I didn't want nobody to know. I didn't talk to nobody else. I didn't want nobody to know that I was kicked out of that house. So I'd stay over there. And uh, we I remember we was building toolbars. And I was building a couple, fold up toolbars. We'd weld them, spot weld them, and weld them up the hinges and stuff. So I got in that motel room. That night, and I thought, man, Mardon, you have lost your wife, your family, everything. And I thought, God, I, I felt him talking to me. And I, I just, uh, I, I started to pray. And then I remember Dad, he'd talk some of his talks. He said, sometimes, he said, I know you can lay in the bed, and I know we can all pray driving down the road with our eyes open, and then prayers is good, and, and laying there and in chair, or lazy boy, but he told me, I'd see him praying sometime on the side of the bed. He said, uh, it's, it's better sometimes for you to put a little effort and get off and get on your hands and knees and pray to the good Lord. And he said, might not go better, but he said, I'm going to tell you, he said, he give his son for us. And his love is so great. And I'm telling you, it's better if you can just make a little effort for me it is. So I got off and I said, God, I have made, embarrassed my wife and my son, all the people that knows me. And I said, most of all, I've embarrassed you, God. 
But if there's any way, please help me that I can get better and get this stuff back and get back on track and go back to helping you, God, or working and, and doing things. But I have lost everything and without you. So I get up and the next morning I go over and I work and they put them together and I go over at the house and I said, Martha, I promise you. She said, no. She said, you've got to get some help and for your son, but I don't know that me and you will ever be back together because I'm not putting up with this and the way you've done. So I get in there and I go back over to the barn and I will till 10 o'clock by myself on them hinges. Nice and easy, back to Perry Gould because I didn't want people to know. I went over there and that old phone book in there and I got in there and I looked up counselors and I found one over here at Jonesboro, Michael T. I thought, I'll call him. And I called and made an appointment. And I go over and I tell him some of the things I've told you. He said, yeah, he said, uh, you need some help, brother. And he said, uh, first of all, you're going to have to go to a couple AA meetings and then come back and weep. I said, oh, no, I'm not. I don't need that. I said, I just need to get. He said, nope. He said, You'll learn, you got to learn what your faults are, and it's all right. And he said, some of the steps you do in that, he said, that will help you, I think. I said, really, I don't want to do that. I said, a farm over, I don't want, he said, the ones that really mean, they won't care. They'll, they'll know. And uh, he said, he looked on his list, he said, I told him I was at Arburton. He said, Perry Gould's the closest ones back then, they didn't have a lot. He said, there's a place there in front of the hospital then at a Pentecost church, uh, their deal. He said, they have AA meetings and you can go and just go to a couple and then come back and we're going to talk some more. So I ease over there, get there. I'll go in and I see the table and I see some guys standing there and uh, I got the wrong. It was a drug announcement, which that's. If you got a problem with drinking, there's not a lot of difference in it. But I said, no, I'm at the wrong place. I'm here for AA. And they was going to sit in on one of their meetings. And they said, well, just sit right here because they start an hour. And I sat over there and I watched them all share and stuff. And then the AA meeting started. And there was a guy that done. I thought, man, I know him. I've seen him when I was little. But he'd had, he farmed. And he was from Arburton, I mean, two miles down there. And I'm farming the ground that he's had now after things changes around there. And he'd lost his whole farm and everything, but he had got him a TV and he'd been sober for 15, 20 years. And uh, he knew my grandpa and them, and he said, and it was uh, on AA, they've got an open and a close meeting. And that was an open meeting. And he told me, he said, Mardon, you come back tomorrow night on Tuesday and Thursdays. We have uh, closed meetings. This, the ones that really is over here, not to get this script because they had a ticket or something to work out. So he took me under his wing and I got over there. And the first thing you do is sit down and go around the table and They'd say, hi, I'm Archie, I'm an alcoholic, and Mardon, I'm an alcoholic, and then they share their story. 
the first night, I still, boy, I was just tough. I said, hi, I'm Ardon. I'm just, I'm just going to listen tonight. And uh, I heard them. And then that calls meeting, there was people there that had uh, all the laundry mats. They owned seven of them in Perigold. They got service stations. And I heard their stories how alcohol and stuff had just tore their lives up. And I mean, and they was there trying to get help that they couldn't handle it no more than I could. And it was just a quick fix for a little while and wake up, same problem, start over. And uh, I come the second time and uh, I finally told them. And I, when I said that the first time, that I'm an alcoholic, I felt the relief and we'd say the serenity prayer and uh, I told them they, one of the deals is that you got to have a higher power to help you go. And mine, of course, is God. Now, there's not but one higher power, and that's God. And uh, I could feel him, and I shared what I was staying in a motel. only person I got to talk to and tell them my story. And brother, they all shared, and we all cried together. And uh, I kept going. So I finally, I kept going, and I'd go back over there, and I told uh, this counselor, he said, good, you, know, you just keep going. And uh, I kept going, and they give you chips as you go. You get a one-week chip. I go back and talk to my wife. I said, man, I'm getting help. She said, well, that's, uh, that's fine. I hope it helps you and your son. And I'd go back, and I'd tell this counselor. I'd say, hey, man, I'm doing this, but I, she is still hard. And uh, he said, uh, he said, it'd be like you having a dog, man, that, you've had for 20 years or 10 years, ever how long, and at the end, you go to feed it, and it just bites you off on that arm. He said, it's going to take you a month, two months, three months, you know, until you trust that dog, and it don't do that again. He said, you bit her pretty hard, her and your family, and he said, uh, so I'd go back, and I'd pray, and I'd pray, and uh, it got to one month that I'd been there. Still saying at the motel over here, and the old boy finally asked me, I'd he said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm traveling through. He, he knew from our bird I wasn't traveling. But uh, he said, I might give you better rates if you're going to stay over here. Anyhow, it got to one month. I told my wife over there, I went over at the carport, and I knocked on the door, and she came. And I said, Martha, I wish you'd come one time and see the other ones that's had that. I know they got meetings for them, but she wasn't either. They're going to give me a chip tonight, and all it is is a chip. She said, I, I, and I prayed, Lord, please help her to come and see and soften up, and I'll do right here on. She, uh, she said, you go, and where's it at? And I told her, and uh, so I'm in there sitting. <clears throat> the door opens, and she walks in. She sits over the side. And all that's going to do, and uh, my sponsor, which was a guy down there, he said, we're going to share tonight. And wasn't even going to do that. Well, she heard that how I'd turned my life back to God, and I shared them my story and how I'd made a monkey, and I was an alcoholic. We got up after that meet. She said, why don't you come home tonight? Lord, that was wonderful. I got to come home, and ever since then, I was able to share. I kept going to AA, got back in church. They all loved me to death. I thought they'd hate me and everything, but they can tell. 
You get back and you're loving God and doing things for him, no matter what you've done, what things people can tell. And uh, it's wonderful from then on. And uh, my son, he had told me, he said, uh, before I quit drinking, he was with me one day, come over tomorrow, and he said, if you'll quit drinking, we'll farm together, but I cannot have it. And you're doing it, but it's wonderful. And from then on, we had, I got involved in church and I'm going to a church now that I am so proud. The pastor over there and associate pastor, they helped me. They let me do the things that put you to work. And I'm not going like I was this clock in, clock out. I'm going, I can't wait to get over there. And uh, you can hear, I know God talks to us and I can feel him and tell him, but I can hear his words through our pastor. Boy, I mean, this, this seems like you're there and he's just talking straight to you. And it is sometimes that God is. and uh, But I'm in a wonderful place now. And God has been so good to me and my family. And I can see some of the whys, like I was telling you earlier. I didn't, I questioned why God done that and why things happened. And if people can hear some of my stories, if it helps them or whatever. He was 49 year old when he done that. Some people don't get their dad two years, one year. I had 20-something years of the best time with him, but he taught me how I could handle things. The best way to be a Christian, taking me to church, being with the family, making talks, putting God first. But I kind of got back on track and how it at the place I am now, it's wonderful. And I still have a downtimes and uh AA, I went for a long time, but now then we've got uh, group meetings in church, our church. And I've learned to go to them. And when I'm struggling in the worst times that I have, that I can open up after you get, I've been in three or four different groups that I can open up. I hear their stories, their deals, and they hear our stories and we read the Bible and we eat. But it's going through AA and learning how to... uh, not be mad at your neighbors if you got somebody that you want. It's just like God tells you in his word that uh, to not have any enemies. And uh, one of the steps, the 10 steps I had to do, whether I was an alcoholic or not, is some of the best steps that I ever done. Because if you got an enemy, you got to go home and you got to make amends and make sure and pray for that person that might have sprayed you or you sprayed him or pray something good will happen to him. And, uh, I had one that I'd been to it, a farmer real close to me, wasn't even talking, and I got to doing that and praying. And we had a little cafe, and it was full one day, and he come in. I had this, uh, he said, can I sit here? I said, yeah, and we got to talking. We're best friends now, and God's blessed him, blessed me, but it's been good, Archie. Yes, sir. <laughs> Mardon, your transparency. Uh, I think the people who are listening to this podcast have uh, shed a few tears like I have as we have listened to you share your story. And I want to say, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing this story and sharing what you went through. Now, also, because you've lived it, you've come through it. And so you've already shared a couple of these kind of practical tips. But if someone out there is struggling with depression or anxiety, maybe maybe help the listeners to maybe some of the things you saw in your dad 
you were able to kind of recognize it. I know it was back in the 60s and 70s. Maybe talk a little bit about some of the symptoms of that. But then also, if someone is struggling, what advice would you give them? To swallow their pride would be the main thing and to open up and talk to your loved ones. And if I could go back and talk to my dad and being with God is a main thing for me. I mean, and I know that it's going to be a struggle without God, but I could go back and I'd pray with him and have him to open up and share and go get some different help. But you've got to talk. Everybody's got them. And now then I've learned to... Uh, with your partner, whether it's your girlfriend or your wife or what, I've heard uh, like James and Mandy, where they pray every day. I've heard one on your podcast. I was in a group once that uh, I don't, I pray. My wife hears me. She knows my quiet time. I know her quiet time. We pray to God and have it. But as far as just going and getting her and saying, hey, let's pray. And I asked somebody at our group one night, I'm been a Christian since I was in high school. I said, do you take your wife and you just pray with you and her and pray for Nobody in the group done that. And I've heard them pray at the opening or closing or blessing the food at the group. I said, I'm going to challenge all of y'all and me too. Let's go home this week and get our wife and just pray with her. So we all took it and I went home and uh, and I said, done like Dad said, I said, don't just go in there and be laying in the bed. Get up and say, turn the TV off, get it quiet, get out and say, let's get out beside the bed or by the couch. And I done that. And when I'm struggling now or something, I can get her. But that was the best blessing I ever had getting down and praying. And then she done. And today coming over here to do this, she grabbed me and said, let me pray. She said, man, I hope it can help. But this having somebody to talk to and uh, my son I didn't even know I took him when that happened and he's my partner even if he wasn't if I just had a different partner or somebody that I'm close to or a good friend it's okay not to be good and to tell them that you're struggling and things is bad that you don't know if you're going to pay out or no and tell them you're tell them that things is not going right and let them share with you and you'll know that you're that there's other people out there that's like you and there is help that you can get. Go to It's all right to go to a counselor. It's all right if you've got a drinking problem. It's great to go to AA or go somewhere and admit that you've got a problem. And uh, my landlords, I farm quite a bit and 80 or 90% of it is from others and they know exactly they're good. And if you're just living a good Christian life and just God is one of my main things, reading his word and his word. Uh, man, it'll tell you all the things. That, and he tells us that we're going to have struggles and that there's going to be out there, but he conquered the world. He tells us that. And uh, with his love, you can do anything. I mean, anything. Yeah, he does tell us, Martin, you're right. He says, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. He yes. said, but, hey, uh, take comfort. He said, I've overcome the world. Oh, I've overcome. Yeah, what a great word that you shared with us today. So you would say too, just then you would encourage if there's uh, ladies or men out there in the, in the ag community, if, if they're trying to hold all this in and, and the pain, 
And they're not talking about find someone that they can talk to, that they can find somebody, get it out and talk and help them. They will, they will share your hurt with them. And I meant pray and I've, in a group meeting, we've got group meetings that I meet, that I'm at, it's wonderful. And I can tell them when I'm hurting, I had pickers broke down and I got text all day long. They knew it exactly, we're praying for you, brother, and all, and I, you can feel them prayers. But that is, group meetings is one of the main things in my life right now. I, I, could, I know you're preaching at church, but I would have my group meeting. <laughs> that, that, that means so much to me that our group is out there praying for us and we read God's Word and uh, you've got other people. And I switch every now and then, me and my wife, so we can meet more people and got more people out there that's with us so we can share with each other. And they'll open up and share their, after they hear your story. There's everybody. And there's never, like I said a while ago, been a time that I farmed in 40 something years that there's a time that and now that I can talk to my son and or I can talk to my wife or I can talk to my group or my pastor or whatever I can I can talk to them or a good friend of mine and uh, that helps and just knowing that it's all right not to be okay yeah you know God has made us for community so those groups you're talking about that you have at church and you can share with and there's yes. transparency uh, you're right. It's okay to not be okay. We got to talk about it, work through it, and it it really helps us all. When when we share our struggle and somebody says, "Hey, I'm praying for you. I'm going to walk with you through it," or they say, "You know what? I'm experiencing the same right. thing you're experiencing," and through that, God brings healing uh, into a person's life. Well, Marta, I just want to say again, thank you for what you share with us today. I know you mentioned to me earlier before we started taping the podcast. You said, "Hey, you know, I've shared a few times, but if this can help somebody." Uh, uh, that you desire uh, to do that. For all of our listeners, if you know someone or if it's you and you're experiencing depression or you're anxious, we want to make it easy for you uh, to find help. So go to agrihealth.net and open our resource page that we have. We've got great counseling centers that are listed uh, in many of the states, uh, especially surrounding Arkansas. We're adding more uh, all the time. So I just want to encourage you, go to that website, uh, and check out those resources for those who may be listening right now out in the farm community. And I know it's in the time of year when you may be trying to get a crop loan. You may be, you may have grain in the bins that you're moving. Something may be going on, but, but you may be contemplating, uh, suicide or hurting yourself. I need to make this known to you. There's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's 1-800-273-TALK. 1-800-273-TALK. There'll be somebody on the other side of that phone that will listen and do that. And, and just want to encourage folks, just reach out. Tell someone uh, what you're going through. Uh, ask for help. You are significant. You are very valued. God loves you. And you don't need to walk this path uh, by yourself. So reach out just as uh, Mardon said. Again, Mardon, thank you so much thank for being you here for and sharing uh, your story. Again, as always, like I mentioned earlier, uh, go to agrihealth.net, like us on Facebook and Twitter. Hey, and stay stay with us in the uh, next a few weeks. We're going to continue uh, in this series of what we're talking about with stress, anxiety, discouragement, and depression. Until next week, hey, keep farming and keep the faith. You've been listening to That Farm Life Podcast, planting hope, 
Harvesting Strength with your host, Archie Mason. That Farm Life Podcast is a creation of the Agri Health Network in conjunction with Grounded Faith Ministries, where we offer opportunities to help you deal with the stress and strains of farm life through faith, family, and community with other farmers. You can learn more about who we are and what we do on our website at agrihealth.net. That's agrihealth, one word, dot net. Thanks for listening, and until next week, keep the faith.